0: You. Mm-hmm.
1: Welcome back to A Pagan Heart in Maine. I hope everyone had a blessed Yule and a Merry Christmas. I was going to post this episode this past weekend, but with all the storms we've had here in the Northeast United States, it just didn't happen. On today's episode, I have an interview with Michelle Skye, author of Goddess Alive, Inviting Celtic and Norse Goddesses into Your Life, and Goddess Afoot, Practicing Magic with Celtic and Norse Goddesses. And also, I will announce the winner of the very first contest here on the Pagan Heart in Maine. So to start us out today, here's Dar Williams with The Christians and the Pagans.
2: up here for the holiday Jane and I were having solstice now we need a place to stay and her Christ-loving uncle watched his wife hang Mary on a tree he watched his son hang candy canes all meet with red dye number three he told us niece it's Christmas Eve I know our life is not just style she said Christmas is like solstice and we miss you and it's been a while so the Christians and the pagans sat together at the table Finding faith and common ground, the best that they were able Just before the meal was served, hands were held and prayers were said, Sending hope for peace on earth to all their gods and goddesses The food was great, the tree plugged in the meal Had gone without a hitch till Timmy turned to ember And said, is it true that you're a witch? His mom jumped up and said, the pies are burning And she hit the kitchen, and it was Jane who spoke She said, it's true, your cousin's not a Christian But we love trees, we love the snow, the friends we have The world we share, and you find magic from your God And we find magic everywhere so the Christians and the Pagans Christians sat together at the table wow. Finding faith and common ground, up best that they were able now where does magic come from? I think magic's in the learning Cause now when Christians sit with Pagans, only pumpkin pies are burning When Amber tried to do the dishes, her aunt said, really, no, don't father amber's uncle saw how amber looked like him and like her father he thought about his brother how they hadn't spoken in a year he thought he'd call him up and say it's christmas and your daughter's here he thought of father's sons and brothers saw his own son tug his sleeve saying can i be a pagan dad said we'll discuss it when they leave so the Christians, Christians are not big and not vague and set together at the table Whoa. Finding faith oh, they and common ground, the best that they were able Whoa. Lighting trees in darkness, learning new ways from the old And making sense of history and drawing warmth out of Whoa. the cold
1: Growing up, our family didn't celebrate Yule or the solstice. We celebrated Christmas, but we celebrated the here Comes santa Christmas, not the happy birthday Jesus Christmas. Now, I mean, we still had a small nativity, and we knew the happy birthday Jesus story, but primarily this was Santa Day, a day of giving and getting. And as a kid, of course, it was the getting part that stuck in my head. My parents would get me small and medium-sized presents, It was always Santa who brought the big stuff. One year when I was about six or seven, I got a drum set and I loved it. I would just bang and bang on those drums. And about a week later, my drum set disappeared and no one seemed to know what happened to it. And of course, having the attention span of a small gerbil, I quickly forgot about it and started playing with all my quieter toys. One year, Santa got me a state-of-the-art video game system called an Atari 2600. And another year, I got a radio with disco lights built right in. Yeah, Santa was a cool cat. As a child, there was a pageantry about the holiday. The lights, the tree, the North Pole, reindeer. Watching the classics on TV that you could only watch between Thanksgiving and New Year's. The Wizard of Oz, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, Holiday Inn with Bing Crosby and Fred Astaire, The Court Jester with Danny Kay. Pageantry. And magic. As I got older, the holiday of getting became more about giving, and the seeming paradox that the more you give of yourself, the more you get back. The pageantry became something more. The lights were still there, not just the pretty lights, but the bringers of the returning light. The evergreen, not just a place to put presents under, but a symbol of continuing and everlasting life itself. And not even just the pagan symbols, but those of Christ and what the Nativity means to all Christians. I have always tried to keep this magic at this time of the year. And it doesn't matter what faith you are, Christian or pagan. There is still the pageantry and the magic. This past Sunday, we celebrated the longest night and the return of the sun. And the other day, we celebrated Christmas and the birth of the sun. And many other faiths celebrate magic, pageantry, love and giving at this time. So for Christian and pagan together, the darkest nights have passed and we celebrate. Enjoy this pageantry. Enjoy these symbols. Keep them in your heart. With all the darkness of this world around us, rejoice that the light has returned. Take all the worries and troubles that are outside in the blowing snow. And just for this little while, enjoy the glow of the lights the scent of the candles, and the warmth of the fire, and each other. Now our household celebrates Yule and Christmas, and why not? Now this weekend we'll go up to my parents and celebrate all over again. This is a magic time, and also sometime in the next few days I'm going to get my drums out, and I'm going to bang away, and there's nothing anyone can do about it.
3: And see the light of your own soul shining And enter the night and you'll find the light That will carry you to your dreams Enter the night, let your spirit take flight The field of infinite possibilities Deepest dark space Life- Dark, hold it close to your heart and know all that you see is all that can be when you give birth to the dreams of your. Dark, hold it close to your heart and know oh, all that you see is all that can be when you give birth to the dreams of your soul. the night.
1: That was Lisa Thiel with Ewell. And today I have with me Michelle Skye, author of Goddess Alive and the book Goddess Afoot. And welcome to a Pagan Heart and Name. Hi. Now, when I first saw Goddess Alive, inviting Celtic and Norse goddesses into your life. I thought, here we go, we got another book with definitions of gods and goddesses, maybe a few stories and everything. But then I, I look I was looking at it and it's really a workbook. You have two specific really kind of groups. You have the turning of the year, which has the eight major holidays, and the faces of the moon. And I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about that.
4: Sure. When I was first thinking about writing a book, for me, as a solitary, I always wanted to have rituals and information based on a goddess or a god, as well as the holiday itself. And I found that there were no books connected to that. And so it sort of came from my own personal journey or search to find a a format that I could work with for myself on the Sabbaths. And then that sort of moved into the moon phases because I thought, well, well, why wouldn't I want to include some on the moon phases as well because those are equally as important as the Sabbaths. So it kind of well, was an organic expression. It came from my own needs. The way that you set this book up, you didn't want it to be just
1: a book about goddesses. Mm-mm.
4: For myself, I really connect with the goddesses and the gods mostly through meditation or um, journeying. And I had been following a shamanic path for a while, combining it with witchcraft, which is very common. As you see, you know, there are books out there on shamanism and witchcraft together. And that was, that's sort of what my path is really about. And so the book is set up so that you can read about the goddess that's connected to, say, for instance, the winter solstice, which is Keridwen. So you read about her myth. So you have a historical and mythological understanding of the goddess, and then going from there, you find out a little bit about the winter solstice, and then move into a personal exploration of the goddess through guided meditation and journeying. And then after that, you've got you've kind of worked with the emotional side and with the mental side. So now you can feel more connected to the goddess. At least that's what I what my thought process was and then I give you a section where you can give an invocation to the goddess and then from there you do a ritual connected to the goddess and the holiday so it's a complete sort of system or way of doing things so it's not just pick up the book do the ritual it there's it takes time to actually get get into connection with the goddess and to connect to the seasonal energies as well it is wonderfully laid out,
1: because you do have that. You have the story of the goddess, description of the holiday itself, the path working, right. the guided meditation, and all of the guided meditations are, are absolutely wonderful, and uh, the invocation, an activity, which is really kind of neat, I think, especially if you're going to get a family involved, and then the ritual.
4: Yeah, a lot of the the aspects of the path working, when I put that in, mostly for people who weren't, Comfortable with guided meditation or who aren't familiar with it, so that they would be able to work on their skills in meditation and be able to become even better at it as, as they went throughout this, the season of the year. And I did actually a lot of the activities, like you mentioned, a lot of the activities I actually did with my own daughter, and I did um, want to include an aspect that would be hands-on and that's really what a lot of the activities are as well. I have a background in teaching because I taught as an English teacher for a while. And so I think that because of that, I um, really wanted to bring in like a lot of different ways of learning, kinesthetically, reading, or visually, orally, intellectually, emotionally. So I kind of brought all of those different learning styles into the book.
1: It really, it really kind of ties it all together, and I look at that as it really, the way you have this written out, and it gives it a lot more staying power.
4: I'm very proud of it, and it was uh, really a work of, of love on my own part, and it was something that I learned from, just from writing it. What I particularly like about Goddess Alive is that it does take goddesses that people know about, but they might not know their stories that much. A lot of people know about Caradwen and her cauldron, or Bridget in her candles and her fire, but they might not know that, you know, Bridget had a son named Ruadan, or that she was married to the half-Omorian prince Brez, you know, and I, I think that knowing the background of a goddess is as important in connecting to her as our own intuitive understanding, and so that's something that I really worked hard on to, um, for this book in particular, to find real factual historical references so that people would be able to know the goddess from the past and bring her forward into the future.
1: And your second book, Goddess of Foot, is a little bit of a different take. Where the first book dealt with the holidays and the changes in the womb, this one you've taken lessons from the Welsh, the Irish, and the Norse, and the goddesses that you bring you actually tie with an activity
4: or a goal or yeah. a goal. I originally I had I think five goddesses that I wanted to include in Goddess Alive, and they were based on you know magical goals or things that you would want to manifest in your life. But there just wasn't room in Goddess Alive for it. So I had these five chapters, and I was like, well, wow, why don't know, I write a book based around these? So I just divided them up, and um, you know I basically thought of things that were important for everyday life, such as like. You know, risk taking or manifesting abundance for instance these are things that we need in everyday life as well as taking things that are more magical in perspective like increasing your psychic powers for instance so i kind of took things that would be i think useful for everyday life as well as things that would be useful in a magical or spiritual setting and paired them up with a goddess who is connected to that particular attribute or that particular goal And of course, because I'm most connected to the Celtic and the Norse pantheons, I stayed with that pantheon.
1: And just some of the chapters, uh, you have like finding your magical name, accepting your shadow self, gaining balance in your life, learning to love yourself.
4: A lot of the goddesses that I picked for this book, too, in particular, are ones that are not well known in the magical and spiritual communities. Um, They're kind of hidden, kind of you have to dig through the myths and the legends to find them
1: and you do have activities as well that go along
4: for this one most i believe that most of the activities are magical there are three magical activities at the end of each chapter and some of those kind of look like a ritual or feel like a formal ritual and some of them don't so Mm -hmm. um, i know that some of the chapters have like formal rituals at the end that are a magical activity and then some of them don't have a formal ritual and I think that that really had to do with the goal that you were looking for and or that you were working on and also on the personality of the goddess some goddesses are more formal than others this book also which is really kind of interesting the first chapter really deals with magic in general in Mm -hmm. the ethics of magic the law of return the threefold law all of those things that I think are important Um, for me and for everybody who practices magic and for anybody who really wants to change their lives and manifest their lives so that they can take a look at the consequences that can happen through any changes that are going to occur. It also brings into the forefront something that I call goddess magic, which I put in between high magic and high magic. Goddess magic is basically where you connect to a goddess or god. It can be any entity. Um you can, can even connect to your ancestors, but because this was a book on goddesses, I'm um, focused on goddesses. And you connect to the goddess in order to align yourself with her energy and to so that she can help you manifest what you want here on this earth. So instead of high magic where you're connecting with an entity or a god or a goddess in order to really work with big monumental issues like saving the world or peace and love. With goddess magic, you're connecting with an entity in order to bring about low magic stuffs, in order to connect and change your life for the better here and now, instead of looking at the bigger picture. You're looking at your own life, which of course, as we all know, everything's all connected. When you make your life better, all it changes. That. Yeah, right. it like all goes out and ripples and makes everybody else's life better too. So it really is kind of a form of high magic, but it's a form of low magic. It's a combination. <laughs> okay. So that's why, I, and uh, I'm really excited about it because I think it gives people another way of manifesting their desires, manifesting their goals, and, and making their lives better. Because that's really what it's all about.
1: So, what do you think was the hardest part about writing these books?
4: Um, the research is really the hardest part. Absolutely, for me. I love doing the research, but then coalescing it down into readable and understandable chunks, and that is really the hardest thing. And it's, I'm constantly editing and re-looking at a myth, and trying to figure out, well, what does this mean, or well, why would they do that? I look at it from, uh, obviously I can't look at it from an ancient point of view, because I live here and now in present-day America. But I look at, I do obviously realize that I'm tainted in that way. So I try to take a look at the culture of where the stories came from so that I have an understanding of, of what, what they have thought this meant. Nobody really knows 100% what people thought in the ancient times. Mm-hmm. All we have is the archaeological evidence and the stories we hope we can figure it out from there one of the things that really saved me a lot in my research was being able to go online to like sacredtext.com they have saved so much information it's unbelievable and you don't have to nowadays you don't have to pay tons of money to buy a Mabinokian unless you want to mark it up with pen but you know you can just go online and look at it and be able to see like three different versions of it, it's awesome to be able to look at it that way
1: where do you think uh, the Internet is fitting in with Paganism?
4: I think that it is a really viable resource for connecting people, finding people in your area, being able to talk to people about questions or concerns you have. And I think it's really very helpful in a really good way, and it has been a really good way that Paganism has grown and touched more people. On the flip side, you know, you obviously, you can get people who can put up any, anything they want on the internet. So you have to be really discerning when you look on the internet and you find um, pagan information, em- information on mythology or legend or anything. You have to be sure to research and make sure you can find backup, things that back up that information because anybody can tell you anything. You can't just swallow it whole. One of the things I really like about the books um, are the pictures that are included with each chapter. There's a picture of the goddess there, and even if you want to think of your own mind, what she looks like, it's neat to have that picture. Be able to take a look and see, well, this is how I saw her. This is how an artist saw her. And that is something that I'm also really proud of. And both of the artists did an awesome job. Um, and both of them just really captured the spirit of the goddesses. And that was really exciting to see, for me, as an author. Also, with Goddess Afoot, the cool thing is, is that In the beginning of the book, I list all different kinds of magic. I think there's like 25, 30 types of magic that I list. And I give like a brief little blurb about what the magic is. You know, like written word magic, writing down what you want to occur, and then burning it or burying it or doing something with it. So like I have these little brief blurbs. But throughout the whole book, I made it real, a a big point of... Making sure that all of those magics are represented in the book, so you can try out written word ma- magic that maybe you're like, oh, I'd like to try that, but I can't think of a way to do it. Well, there's an example in the book, so all there's an example. I think there's at least two of each of the magics, and there's elemental magic too, which is something that not a lot of people really talk about or like work with that much, you know. And so that's really cool to work with, like earth magic with an earth goddess, working with the earth and the soil. I mean, it's like this really cool way of looking at things. So it really comes together nicely.
1: Elemental magic then. Give me some examples say from each of the elements. What would be someone reading these books going into
4: it? Well, elemental magic, I think a lot of times people they don't always understand the concept that it's bigger than just the feather that they're holding if they're using air magic for instance, or just the soil that they're working with if they're doing earth magic and this book really seeks or really tries during the elemental magic sections to really connect to a bigger whole to connect to the, the real nitty-gritty heavy-duty element itself and it doesn't always seem like it because the actions seem kind of silly like for instance i think with it might be with uru or with um eru or Kizar, where i have to, like dig in a big bucket and like you, there's this whole like mud thing where you're like working with the mud with your hands and everything and it seems really silly the point is is that yeah it is silly because the earth element is way bigger than the mud it's like way bigger than you or me or the mud or the bucket or anything so because of that i think it, it kind of makes you think oh yeah it is bigger than it because it is so silly at the same time like in my with the maca i have you do a whole um, cleansing of your simple space, the whole getting rid of stuff, using the element of air, and using various elements of different aspects of it, you know, the sweeping, which is like, you know, pushing stuff out, and then a feather, and then I don't remember, there's like one other aspect of it. So it's like, even though they are everyday things that you're doing, you're doing them with a different mindset. One of the things that I really enjoy, or that I enjoyed, and that I really am excited about, as far as God has afoot, is that there are goddesses in there that people don't really know about, like Crithalad, who's a Welsh May Day goddess, who we actually know um, as the Ivy Queen a lot of the times. And her consorts, Gwynedd Nudd and Gwyther. Are um, I probably just killed. Sorry, the Welsh pronunciation. So people out there are like, "Oh my god, that was so (laughs) wrong. I'm so sorry." (laughs) I don't know Welsh, so um, but uh, you know, like she's she is actually the constant queen who stands as as like the central point, as the axis around which they fight and turn the wheel of the year. So they are actually the oak king and the holly king that we celebrate, but we don't know about her. But she's standing in the middle and being the constant one. So, like, it's really cool to be able to bring that out and be like, Oh, look, yeah, you guys have been talking about the Oak King and the Holly King. You've probably been doing reenactments at the summer solstice or, or whenever at the winter solstice. But look, here's a whole, a whole goddess that you probably didn't even know was connected to it. And that's really exciting. Or, like, Suna, the, the Norse sun goddess. You know, everybody always thinks of the sun as male, Apollo, Ra. But in the Norse culture the sun was female and that is again another whole way of looking at things and she is really really interesting goddess just has all these different aspects to her that i was really surprised at when i finally looked at the lore i looked at the Eddas, and i looked at the sagas and i was like oh wow she's like a healer and she's like a a psychopomp and she does all these really cool things when you know you just think of her as the sun
1: So how would that apply in your own personal
4: life? I think that a lot of us take what we are, and take our different aspects of ourselves, and we kind of hide them. We want to be what people expect us to be. When we really, the Sunnah chapter is all about embracing who you are, allowing yourself to shine, allowing people to see you for who you are. And once you do that, then people won't try to box you, won't try to put you into their little perspective, because. They'll see you for the glorious, true human being that you are. And that's really what that chapter's all about, and really what Suna is all about, because people have tried to box her into that little, oh, you're the sun, but she's way more than that, too. I also did some runic magic in the Norse chapters, in the Sunna chapter, and in the Sif chapter as well. And the runes are much different from tarot, because the runes are our whole system that have been around for, I mean, tower has been around for a long time, but the runes have been around a lot longer. And they have kind of this mystical quality unto themselves, a, a mystical knowledge. And so I always say, if, if people are, are going to be working with the runes, especially in a magical connotation, and I do say this in the book too, that you should really know them. You should do a little bit of reading beforehand. Because even in the Eddas, there are, and in the Sagas, there are stories you know, from the medieval time period, that talk about how people used the runes and then they, they mess, they messed up their lives because they used them the wrong way. Even though they were like, <laughs> even though they hmm. were living them every day. So you know, it was something that even in the past, people were like, oh yeah, you gotta know what you're doing with these things. And so I always tell people, that you gotta know what you're doing with the runes. Don't just jump into it. Really take a look at a Thorson book or Freya Aswin or whatever, and, and really take a look at them first.
1: Now, you also have a new book that's going to be coming out in this series mm-hmm. uh, called Goddess Mantras.
4: Yes, I do. Goddess Mantras is a book that basically takes one form of magic, and it's incantations or spoken word magic, and it puts it into a spiritual setting so that you can work with different goddesses to, to for specific issues or causes that you feel really important are very important to you or you feel very excited about so for instance one of the chapters is goddess mantras for the environment and it starts with an essay or a sort of a, a new way of looking at the environment that I write and then I take three goddesses three separate goddesses from different cultures and I give you a mantra to connect to that goddess I tell you about the goddess and then I give you an activity designed specifically for that goddess, but also specifically to connect to your overall goal, which is for the environment or for peace or whatever. There are also chapters that are connected to your own inner self. So it's like for self-love as well as one of them. Um, for healing is another chapter. So, um, so I try to find goddesses that were from all over the world, and that's the main difference, I think, for goddess mantras is that it focuses not just on Celtic and Norse goddesses, but on, like, Izume, who is from Japan, and um, Pakamama, who is Incan. And so, you know, you you get, like, a a broad range. And I actually also included Our Lady of Fatima from Portugal, who Mm -hmm. is um, a manifestation or an aspect of the Virgin Mary. So, I, you know, I really looked around at a lot of different, Goddesses and included a bunch of different ones. But there are still Norse and Irish and Welsh goddesses as well. Um, And at the end of each chapter, after you look at each of the three goddesses and maybe you connect to one, you do a mantra with them for a while. At the end of each chapter is a bigger activity or a ritual that you can perform that connects you directly to the issue that you're interested in. Whether it's growth or self love or there's actually a chapter on spirituality too. So I think some people When you've been in paganism for a while, sometimes things become, like, rote. I do the same thing all the time, you know, I call the quarters the same way. And you start to lose that really, that excitability that you had when you first learned about paganism. You know, that sort of inspirational hit in my head, oh my goodness, awesome. And so I chose Goddesses to kind of help you if, for instance, you're in that kind of rut and you want to reconnect to your spirituality and reconnect to yourself and to what first called you to being a pagan, I think that for me, one of the things that I always try to impart to people, and I try through my books as well, is to really listen to your own self, listen to who, what feels right to you, and that in both of my books, I state in the beginning, look, this is my idea, but if you don't like it, don't do it, you know, don't force yourself to do something just because an author suggests it, don't force yourself to do something because somebody who you feel like is, is higher up in the hierarchy or whatever, or in the pagan community says that you should, you shouldn't do anything that makes you innately uncomfortable Um, and you should always listen to your inner self and I think that this is something that we in the pagan community can really pass down to our children and that it can become a real homegrown you know real important thing to remember because we always have people telling us this is what you should do this is what you should be this is who you are and you should really just sometimes settle down do a meditation just focus on yourself that's one thing that I think is really important and one of the real benefits I think to being pagan and another thing is don't discount the small things every little thing you do matters everything whether it's you just throw cornmeal out to the birds that is uh, an aspect of love and a spiritual love and you know even if it's just Oh, I'm going to make a candle for Bridget. You know, people think, Oh, it takes five minutes. It doesn't matter. But of course it matters because you're doing it. And if you could be doing something else with your life, you could be stuffing your face with bonbons, but instead you're choosing to do this one aspect, this one act of love. So really don't feel like you have to do these huge monumental rituals in order to be pagan, in order to celebrate the goddesses and the gods. You don't have to buy a hammer you know, use it, when you when you use it, think of four. you know, whatever. Something small like that, all of those little things that we do add up to a spiritual pride.
1: And the books, again, are God Alive and Goddess Afoot. And do you have a website?
4: I do. It's michellesky.com.
1: And that's sky with an E. Yes, it is. And you can also find links at my website as well. And thank you again for coming in today. You're
4: welcome. Under
5: blue and silver sky Or a glittering plateau, we take the high road through the land of the cold sunshine. Shield the trail a while From the heat beating down each chilly mile Breathe the freezing crystal air Watch my baby crack a smile In the land of the cold sunshine Snowfall, the drifters are dancing Wind farms waving the winter in Where the buffalo roam through a song again in the land of the cold sunshine <laughs> <laughs> Wizard had peaks all marked Sky at the end of the day Build ourselves a fire And watch the stars wheel away In the land of the cold sunshine Velvet sunset, mountain light We follow you west into the night Where a lullaby must be just right In the land of the sunshine, a world of wonder, world of white, the land of the cold sunshine.
1: And that was S.J. Tucker with Cold Sunshine. I want to give a shout out to all my Podkin out there and wish you all a blessed holiday season. And I also introduce a few new podcasts to my listening lineup The Celtic Myth Pod Show, which has been around a while and I'm just now starting to listen. And a brand new one, The Great Oak Podcast, which is now up to episode three. Welcome to the Podioverse. And as always, you can find links to both these podcasts and many others, on my website at www.paganheartinmaine.com. At the top of the page, click on the link called Podcast for the Pagan Heart. I also wanted to mention that there's a new website made by one of our listeners, Heaton's Dog, who is a friend of Pagan Podcasts Everywhere, and he created a website that is an incredible resource. It is at www.paganpodcastingindex.wordpress.com. And you can find a link to his website on my site as well. And what he does is he takes each podcast he listens to and indexes the shows. The site lists topics, books, music, announcements, and websites talked about during the podcasts and provides a time index in the audio file. He even includes a link that will take you directly to the podcast page for the episode. I want to say thank you for all of you who wrote me this past month. It's nice to know you're all out there listening. And all of you are great. Some of you have given me wonderful ideas for upcoming shows. And all the warm comments were wonderful. I was compared many times to a hot cup of chocolate and a warm blanket. But I do want to mention one person in particular, just because your comment tickled me. I have been called many things in my life, some of which I can't mention on this podcast. But this was a first. Shannon from Maryland wrote me just the other day and said, I absolutely love your podcast, but I want to know why you aren't gray bunny. You sound like a bunny. And that absolutely made my day. Out of all the things I've been called, I've never been called a bunny. Except for all the times I was in a bunny suit. But that's different, and that's a different episode. Thank you, Shannon, for that. Now it's time to draw a winner for Arthur Hines' CD, Poetry of Wonder. And all the names are in the hat. And the winner is Taliswin Dragtian. think I pronounced that right. Congratulations. And you'll be getting an email from me, probably right as this episode airs, asking where you would like me to send your CD. But thank you all for writing me. And I'll have to see about giving some more stuff away more often. that was Blackmore's Night with Toast to Tomorrow. And I'm going to call this episode 22. And as always, all music on a pagan heart is used with permission from the artists. And to close out today's show, this is Heat Miser from the TV show Year Without a Santa Claus. Until next year, I'm your host, Gray Bunny, and I wish you all a joyful Yule and blessed solstice season, and a Merry Christmas. Great blessings.
0: Mr. Heat Blister, I'm Mr. 101. They call me Heat Miser. whatever I touch, starts to melt in my clutch. <laughs> I'm too much. He's Mr. Green Christmas, he's Mr. Sun. Touch starts to melt in my clutch. He's too much. Thank you. I never want to know a day that's 160 degrees. I'd rather have it 80, 90, 100 degrees. Oh, some like it hot, but I like it really hot. Ooh. <laughs> Christmas,
6: he's Mister Sun. Sing it! He's Mister
0: Heat Lister. He's Mister. Mr. Mr. They call me Heat Miser. Whatever I touch starts to melt in my clutch I'm too much, too, too much. <laughs>